Welcome to a night. Hello, um, I am Duke Ralston. I uh, am co-host of Tennessee Macaw, and I write for Pulp Factory Easing, and I am joined by Blake Ray, lead singer and principal songwriter for the band Blood Oaks, now on Academic Punk Records. Uh, I publish Pulp Factory Easing. And you are listening to the Reaper's Digest podcast, where we dissect the best in horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. Absolutely. How you doing tonight? Now we got a really good one spooled up. Oh yeah, and I think it actually qualifies as all three. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, we're talking about Howard's Red Nails. Yes. Which is a Conan story. Mm -hmm. It is a horror story. It is a fantasy story. Yes. And it's just good bloody fun. I, I was I was sitting here thinking, or I wasn't sitting here, but when I was actually reading this story, I was visualizing this as a movie. Mm -hmm. And... I see this in the genre of some of the some of the European cannibal flicks of the seventies and early eighties, like Cannibal Ferox and some of those gross out things. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's definitely got that uh, what Blake Schneider would have called monster in the house. Yes, absolutely. Like those kinds of movies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm thinking Poltergeist. The Shining, mm -hmm. Alien. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's got that real claustrophobicness to it. Yes. Yeah. One of my favorite favorite scenes yeah. from this is uh, when, and I forget the name of the guy that they run into, and the the, the guy that that Valeria rescues at the very beginning. Oh yeah, but. He's taking them down this corridor, and there's no light, and it's just a narrow corridor. And Howard is writing from Valeria's point of view, and she's behind Conan, and she's holding on to him running. And they hear the stalker slithering down the hallway beside behind them. Oh, yeah. That is the most bone-chilling scene that I've ever Red. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of that, the ghost in the crypt and all that yep. stuff. Yeah, terrifying, terrifying. Yes, send yes. chills up my spine. Honestly, yes. which yes. is hard to do. I'm pretty jaded. Yeah, but this one is this one is this one is horror. Oh yeah, uh, and and you, it hits on three levels. You've got. You've got kind of the 
you've got almost the the kaiju type horror of the dragon at the beginning mm -hmm. that they fight and that's almost kind of stock and trade for sword and sandal type type books but it's but it's uh it's very much in the spirit of godzilla or a prehistoric beast or whatever then you've yeah. got these kind of these supernatural monsters inside the city like the stock yeah. But you got the level of horror that these essentially the descendants of two brothers mm -hmm. are killing and torturing each other to death in the most gruesome ways imaginable to the point that they just about annihilated each other. Yeah. They're down to 40 on one side and yeah. 20 on yeah. the other. Yeah. Yeah. By the by, the time we enter the fray, yeah, yeah. So before we get too far into it, what are you drinking tonight, dude? You know, um, I honestly forgot to get a beer. <laughs> That's all right. I have enough for both of us. How about that? Okay, okay. What are you drinking? Oh, that is good. Burn Hickory, oh. Hell's Lager. Okay. A down south hell's lager. It's a uh, southern take on the Bavarian classic. Yeah. That sounds very good. It's mighty good. It's mighty you know, good. It's a little light. But I like the that. The older I get, the more I appreciate lagers. Oh, yeah. That used to be that used to be when I walked into a beer place, I wanted a stout. I wanted an IPA. But the older I get, the more I enjoy a lager. Well, you know, the older I get, the more my metabolism catches up with me, or rather doesn't. And so yeah. those stouts don't go down as easy as they used to. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's like drinking bread. Yes. <laughs> so let's do a little background work on this. We've talked yes, about we've talked about Howard a little bit before. We have. This is the last of the stories featuring Conan. Yes. Um, and it's, I think by a hardline definition, it's a novella. Yeah. But it's right on the edge between a novella and a very long short story. Yes. And it was originally serialized. We were talking about that off mic, you know, that this would be great serialized. And it was, it was, mm -hmm. it, it ran from July to October in 1936. Mm -hmm. Weird tales. Weird tales. Yeah. Always weird tales. Always weird tales. I keep trying to find something that didn't show up in weird tales, and well, they so far it's not been much. Yeah. Um, it's set in the Hyborian Hy Age, which mm -hmm. is his sort of uh, pseudo history. Mm-hmm. And like we said, it's about a blood feud in this walled city. The thing about the city is it's not really walled. It's one giant castle. Yes. So it's a citywide castle. The people haven't seen the sun or open air in 50 years. Mm -hmm. Some of them were born there and plan to die there, as they say. Yep. And something, something I think that's worth mentioning, um, 
the names for these peoples are very much uh, Mesoamerican. Yeah. And Howard always, he has a pseudo history, but it's always rooted in, in real ancient history and real archaeology. I don't know what, I don't know. I don't, he didn't get a degree that Howard studied anthropology. So, so it always has roots. And so this is kind of his take on the Aztecs. Well, you know, it, uh, it's weird that you mentioned the anthropology thing because we do take long, deep dives on the histories of these people. Yes, we do. He builds a very rich, uh, a rich world. Uh, yes, he does. You know, and I was at first thinking, wow, this is really long. We could probably cut the dragon. Yeah. But uh, no, you couldn't. You know, <laughs> you get to the end, you're like, oh, okay. No. Yeah, that's that's something that I like about it because when you, you know, you go through that whole that the first probably half of this short story, you're sitting there going, "What was the point of that whole dragon tale at the beginning?" It's almost like two different stories nailed together, and then. Somewhere mid-story, you find out that the dragon is an integral part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So this was published actually posthumously. Mm -hmm. This was after Howard had died. Okay. I did not realize that. Yeah. He died early in 1936. Mm -hmm. And then this was published from July to October. Okay. So... And a lot of people would count this as his best story. I would be one of them. His pinnacle. His yeah. uh, so a fitting, a fitting legacy, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, let me let me summarize it for the people who haven't read it. Sure, sure. I think and that's good. Go ahead and set aside an evening and just post up with it because it's it's worth it. Yeah, and it's not one that you want to read half one night and half the next either. You want to read this thing all the way through. I am always one for reading in one sitting, if at all possible. Yes, yes. That's what uh, Poe talks about. The short story has the advantage because it has a totality of effect. Yes. Because you get it all in one sitting. I, I got this in one sitting, but it was... Uh, it was a long sitting. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. So it begins following Valeria of the Red Brotherhood uh, through the jungles of the south, far away from any known civilization, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you get the feeling that you probably should have read a couple Conan stories before. Mm -hmm. If you really want to know where she's at. Mm -hmm. But it's not integral. This was the first Conan story I've ever read. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, let me... I looked through a lot of them here. Um, Valeric, a lot of these stories, you get that feeling. You get that feeling that there is this long, integrated history of Conan. But it's not really written that way. And... I don't recall Valeria figuring into any of his other stories. Okay. So you really don't know anything about it 
it feels like you should, but you don't. Now, this character did inspire Sandal Bergman's character, Valeria, in uh, 1980s Come. Nice. Because uh, like you say, this is this is probably his best Conan story. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, there you don't really know anything about what's going on. They, they kind of, there's some exposition when Conan and Valeria are talking and you realize that they were, they were running around with some some guys that were rough, and and she fought her way out, and then Conan fought his way out, and joined, her. yeah, yeah, to follow her, yeah, and she got hots for, her. yeah, <laughs> basically, <laughs> the way this is written, it's amazing any of them get anything done because it just yeah. the whole thing is supple breasts and rippling muscles. That's right. That's right. It's hard to do anything constructive in that kind of environment. <laughs> I know. I've been uh, I've been to certain places where I was like, "Wow, how? you know, San Juan, the nicer parts of San Juan, where everybody's yeah. there showing off at the beach." I'm like, yeah. "Wow, you wouldn't get anything done around here." <laughs> so, you know, um, so basically, Conan follows her up this spire. This uh, crag. Um, and they're having this little standoff when they get interrupted by a dragon. Which is uh, not necessarily the fire-breathing type. No. Um, it's much more dinosaur-like. Mm -hmm. A much more realistic dragon, I think. Yeah. Much more realistic. So they're trapped up there, no food, no water. The dragon is sitting down at the base of the mountain. It is eating their horses, so it's good for some time. Yeah. Conan, who is uh, thinking on his feet pretty quickly, uh, makes a spear out of some of the branches he can reach and tips them with poison. The poisonous apples growing around, he uses the juice to make a poison, and then he stabs the beast in the mouth. They escape, sort of. <laughs> the dragon <laughs> something. Yeah. And they're chased to this walled city. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So... One thing that I thought was interesting there, and I'm going to keep breaking from the summary because, like we said, this is a long work. It's a long work, yes. Um, it reminded me a lot of the Hydra. Yeah. You know, um, there's definitely that high mythology feel to this. Yeah. It has, it has a high mythology feel. And, but one of the things that, Robert E. Howard did that I really like is he takes that high mythology feel and he makes it believable. He does. You know, if it had been a fire breathing dragon, that's that's fantastic. That's not believable. But this is basically a giant iguanodon, and we yeah. can believe that, you know. So I like that believability factor. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I found it very interesting. Um, but the idea of the poison tip, stabbing the creature in the mouth, using the poison against it, I loved it. Mm -hmm. 
you know. And Conan, I think, even says, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I think he even tells Valeria it's just an animal. Yeah. You know, it's just an animal. Because when they, when they get inside the city, mm-hmm. they uh, the uh, people are shocked that he's killed the dragon because mm-hmm. they say that they're immortal. And he said it's no more immortal than any other chunk of beef. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, so they make to the walled city mm-hmm. and they notice there's no livestock grazing, no fields. It looks deserted. Yeah. They open a gate and they enter this city, mm-hmm. but it's all one massive structure. Right. It's all closed off in this dome. It's got, what do they call, firestone set in the ceiling that lights the whole thing. Yes. And they're sort of wandering around. Mm -hmm. There's nobody there. No. This is the beginning, I think, of the horror portion. Yes. Reminds me a lot of... What the thing? Yes. Or event horizon. Yep. Any of those other great locked room mystery kind of horror? Gargantuan architecture. Yeah. I mean, there's then there's there's also elements of I am legend here. I mean, there's he hits on a lot of elements. It's kind of a micro apocalypse. Yeah. But they notice that there are no dead bodies around. Right. Like if people had starved or there was a plague, you'd see bodies, mm-hmm. see bones, but they don't. So eventually, Valeria and Conan split up. Mm-hmm. Always a bad move. Yeah. And uh, she runs into this guy, Tech Chodal. Mm-hmm. Tech Chodal. Tech Chodal. Yeah. And he is being set upon by this what the, ancient evil, the skull, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Valeria is like, okay, that's great and all. Uh, she kills the guy wearing the skull. Right. Techotl is so enamored that he's going to take her back to meet his king. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. In the meantime, they kill four more of this warring faction. And this is where you find out that basically the city is divided into two factions. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. I tell you something else that I like that we're going to come back to that this really sets up the whole, the lead in and in particular this fight scene with Valeria and Chichotl. You get, it sets up Valeria is this really bad warrior woman. And you think she's going to be the baddest warrior woman in the story, but you're wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so with that being said, 
pray continue. Okay, I was gonna say I was about to to you know pick nits there, but I I, I think we'll move on. You know. Yes. Yes. So basically, he takes him back to Tecolti. 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 Yeah. Sorry, I haven't heard a lot of these words said out loud. I haven't either. I'm just uh, more or less trying to use what little Aztec I possess to pronounce them. <laughs> the fact that you possess any is more impressive than me. You know? I can ask where the library is in Spanish, but that's not exactly ancient Aztec. No, no. So they meet the king, mm-hmm. Olmec, and yep. the queen, Tessela. Tessela. And Olmec basically tells them the history. Yeah. The place was built way before they arrived. About 50 years ago, they came. And there were two brothers. Mm-hmm. They ruled peacefully until one of the brothers stole the other's bride. Right. Meanwhile, the third, because they were ruling as a triumvirate, mm-hmm. betrayed both of them, mm-hmm. and he was exiled into the catacombs. Yes. Now, this is the scene in which, one, you start getting hints of homosexuality. Uh, you start getting hints uh, that something's definitely going on below the surface here. Oh, yeah. And you find out why the thing is named Red Nails. Mm-hmm. Because there's a black pillar mm-hmm. into which they drive a nail, a copper nail, for every person they kill. Yes. So, Tessella develops this kind of pseudosexual, psychosexual interest in Valeria. Mm -hmm. And she has her uh, servant try and drug her with a narcotic, this uh, black lotus. Black lotus. Now, Valeria manages to escape, interrogates her. That scene is a uh, straight BDSM fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's one of those things where you're reading it and you're like, everything okay, my dude? <laughs> like, it just seems like a departure. I didn't know they knew about that in the 30s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to know what they did and did not know. I like to yeah, keep clean. But she interrogates her, and basically she says that she'll tell, but she flees into the catacombs, only to be murdered there. Yeah. Valeria hears it. Now, the other faction, the warring faction, breaches the stronghold. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they kill off everybody. The entirety of the warring faction with Conan, Valeria, Olmec, Tessela, and the 15 other warriors, they're still alive, but that's it. That's it. So, 
They sort of go off. Valeria stays behind. Mm-hmm. And Conan's going to the other side, to the other faction, to make sure they're all dead. Mm-hmm. Now, while he's away, Almec tries to violate Valeria, but he's stopped yeah. by Tessella. Now, I thought she was... I. I thought she was stopping her because she didn't want her to be hurt, blah, blah, blah. But no, in fact, she wants to feed on Valeria. Yes. And eat her youth. Yes. So. Soul-sucking vampire. A soul-sucking vampire. <laughs> Turns out she was the bride that was stolen 50 years prior. Right. And she was old. When the people came there in the first place. Yes. So she's been orchestrating the whole bloody show for 40, 50 years. Yeah. So in the meanwhile, Conan almost gets killed by Olmec's two troops. Mm -hmm. One who loses his mind after seeing the heads of his uh, comrades. Mm Mm-hmm. On display, the other who uh, was told by Olmec to kill Conan, yeah, Conan comes back, finds Olmec in the dungeon, mm-hmm. being tortured in such a way so that like his head is resting on spikes, yep, and every time he moves his head, this iron ball gets lower and lower. <laughs> Until eventually it will crush him. Yes. Gotta love Sasala's idea of divorce. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, Sasala is a bad woman in this. So Conan bursts, Conan eventually uh, rescues Olmec. Olmec tries to kill Conan and gets killed himself. Yep. Conan faces off against Tassella. He gets caught in a trap, mm-hmm. which uh, I guess was kind of like a bear trap, is what I'm imagining. Yeah, that's kind of what I felt like it was, yeah. Yeah. Suddenly, the guy who was uh, Tolkemec, who was uh, banished to the catacombs, bursts in, saving the day in sort of a weird way. Yep. He's wielding an ancient, like, wand. Mm-hmm. Um, Tessella frees Conan, who kills Tolmec. Mm-hmm. Tolkemec, sorry. And yeah. after freeing herself, Valeria, who was, you know, going to be sacrificed. Right. She kills Tessella with a dagger through the heart. Yep. And then everybody's dead except Conan and Valeria. That's right. So they uh, they decide to loot the place and go. Yes. Well deserved. Well deserved. Yeah. It is a ride, this story. Yes, it is. It is a ride. There is almost nobody good in this. Um, there are implications. I think you said there's implications of homosexuality, lesbianism. There's implications of, uh, you know, Tokamak. It, sort of implies that he's eating the corpses in the catacombs. You know, 
Never it, comes out and says it, but yeah, but it's heavily implied. Yeah, it's heavily implied, which yeah. is kind of freakier than if they come out and said it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, what do you it's, call it's, that? It's a wild ride. Yeah. I, wow. I, I, one of the themes that Howard is fascinated with is people that the great peoples that degenerate, yeah, and become something. Uh, I guess troglodytes would be kind of the term that you would apply here. Yeah, and there's definitely that theme is running through that. Not that these folks were descended from great people, but they were warrior tribes in the southern borders of Stygia and they lock themselves into this castle and just degenerate and, and kill each other off. You see the same themes in a, a lot of other sci-fi and fantasy works. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you definitely see it in uh, Lovecraft. Yes. Um, you definitely see it. You know where you see it uh, probably most famously? Where's that? It, the Time Machine by Wells. Yeah, Time time Machine, yeah. Yeah, this idea that a soft life leads to degeneracy. Degeneracy. And uh, worth mentioning, uh, some of you have seen some of our other podcasts and, and or may be aware of this. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard corresponded and were quite close. They they exchanged ideas, and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft kind of acted as an older guiding hand for several writers, and Robert E. Howard was one of them. Yeah. Um, I believe that Howard was actually the better writer, but uh, he and H.P. Lovecraft definitely exchanged ideas. I think he's the better storyteller. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I don't know about the better writer. Yeah. Because when you look at structure, uh-huh. this is pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, it's not as complicated as, say, a Call of Cthulhu or the thing at the doorstep. Oh, no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's, it's yeah. a much more straightforward, straight from the hip, and, uh, like we were discussing earlier, Howard goes to into painstaking depth, building his histories. The only other person that I know that goes to that much depth, building a history for his world is Token. Yeah. And Howard's history is quite frankly, much more believable than Token's. You know? Yeah. Well, Token was a linguist and yeah. therefore an anthropologist. Yes. I think Howard was an anthropologist and therefore a writer. Yes. Yeah, that's a good way of putting that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think he just was so interested he had to invent his own. Yeah. So what do you think the main theme is here? Hmm. You know, I think there's several things you could pick out. You could pick out uh, how society degenerates. Mm -hmm. Howard was 
in his 30s and, and when he died. I don't remember exactly how old he was, but he was in his 30s in 1936. So he would have been born around the turn of the century. So Howard would have certainly grown up with firsthand accounts of the American Civil War. Very much so. And I am thinking that that brother-on-brother conflict for someone of that gener- generation has to be, he, he's translating the American Civil War. Fair enough. I think he very well might be. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about that until you said it. Yeah. But I think it's, it's definitely so, war. But but it's to me that's you know, he's definitely he's definitely touching on that scene that that on the on civil combat, uh brother against brother civil war. Um and coming from where he come from, when he come from, that has to be the American Civil War. Almost has to be, yeah. Um, He also talks a lot about the idea of the futility of war. Yeah. Because as long as you lock people in a room, right? Mm -hmm. This is, they are locked in a room together. Yeah. You know, it's a big room, but it's still one. It's still a room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so eventually they will destroy each other. Right. And there's no getting around it. No. no. You know, it, it is very animalistic. And, and uh, there, there is a theme there. You know, Howard, I think, basically believes that human beings are animals, vicious animals. Uh, I would tend to agree. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, is... Ultimately, why I say, and I love Token, but ultimately, Howard's much more believable than yeah. than Token. Yeah. yeah, I think, I don't necessarily believe in original sin, but I do, however, believe that humanity has to rise above base impulse. And I think right. that's sort of what he's getting at. Right. You know? I think that's exactly what he's getting at, because there's, I don't think Howard sees it as original sin. I don't know what his religious views are. I doubt that he was particularly religious. I don't get that feeling. Um, It was not a particularly religious time in America either. No, it wasn't. And I think that what Howard is saying is that, you know, he's, he's looking at man's basest impulses. Yeah. And that is what he is portraying. I mean, it doesn't get any more base than this. No, this is base impulse. I think also you're seeing a lot of the futility of the futility of revenge. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of uh, Hatfields and McCoys in this. Mm-hmm. Yes, that Absolutely. blood feuding. Yep. So. I don't know. What? And, you know, somebody that grew up in the American West, we tend to think of Native Americans and uh, white people going at it in the 19th century. But it's important to remember that intertribal warfare was a fact of life for Native yeah. Americans long before the white people got here. Oh, yeah. Um, pretty much any time you have any two groups of people, they're going to kill each other. That's right. 
Howard couldn't have said it better. <laughs> yeah. uh, we heard especially warlike race, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. Uh, as far as sword and sorcery goes, this didn't feel like it. And he's, no, it feels like horror. Yeah, he's often cited as the father of the sword and sorcery genre. Mm -hmm. But what makes something fantasy and what makes it medieval horror? Yeah. See, I've read, I've read, uh, I'm a huge Howard, Robert E. Howard fan. And I have read all of his, well, let me rephrase it. I'm a huge Conan fan. I like King Cole. I like Solomon Kane, but I've read most of what I've read has been has been how Conan, and I've read all the Conan that he wrote. Um, a lot of his stuff was much more sword and sandal. This is of a different vein, and it you you get that you know I'm trying to think at the heart of Araman, for instance, you know oh. I, we see Conan as as a middle aged king of Aquilonia, and an evil wizard has tried to raise an even eviler wizard from an ancient time uh, in order to, to become powerful. And this is a Howard. Uh, not Howard Conan loses his throne and has to fight his way back to destroy the wizard and reclaim his throne. Classic sword and sorcery. There's some monsters thrown in. The monsters are definitely influenced by H.P. Lovecraft, and they're they're a notch above what most monsters you see in Sword and Sorcery. But this is definitely Sword and Sorcery. This one, this one is this is horror. Yeah, I feel like this has more to say than your average. Yeah, yeah. You know, because if you think about it, we're just ticking off boxes for mm. base impulse, right? Yeah. Seeing yeah. the consequences. Um, sex. Yes. You see, uh, there are multiple attempted rapes. Yes. Um, that get people killed. Rightfully mm -hmm. so, I would say. Yeah. You know? Um, but physical you, abuse. Physical abuse. Mm -hmm. um, revenge. Mm -hmm. um, Torture. Torture, the fear of death. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end, isn't this really just a story about being afraid of getting older? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? And hunger and the, I don't know. It's, it's interesting how much it has to say about the idea of base impulse and rising above it. You know, yeah. and I yeah. think it's also very interesting that all of this degradation, all the uh, horrors that are happening, are happening inside a magnificent castle. Yes, opulent setting. Yeah, I mean, they're talking about uh, uh, jade thrones and you know, semi-precious stone carved doors and portals and. You know, copper is not, I mean, we don't think of copper as being a precious metal, but it's, you know, you don't see, a, you don't run across a whole lot of copper nails. No. If you stop and think about it. And, you know, they are, they're using 
they're using copper nails as decoration. Uh, it, it's like it's that it kind of goes back to the whole troglodyte. You know, the, it's a very diminutive race that has taken over, uh, taken over a once much more advanced race that became useless. They killed them all, and there are barbarians running around in this girl. What's left of this great civilization? Yeah, and when we say race, we're not really using it the same way that you would use it in common parlance today. No, no. no we're using it more like human versus Neanderthal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the human race versus Neanderthal race. Yes. Because before them, there were wizards and stuff like that. Now right. they've all died out. And I've always thought that was an interesting setting for fantasy. Right. That is. You know, there is uh, there's several accounts of the Anglo-Saxons coming to England. And the Anglo-Saxons, some, some historians believe they actually came to England at the behest of the Romans, but they came in right at the tail end of the Roman Empire and then settled in massive hordes within a century of the Roman collapse in England. But this is a century, maybe, maybe after the fall of the Roman Empire, maybe around 500, 550. And the Anglo-Saxons have now been in England for three generations, and they're looking at Hadrian's Wall, and they're telling these stories about how giants built it. Yeah. Because they've lost the history. And it, it, you kind of get that feel for these people. Yeah. You know, they're sort of like those Anglo-Saxons, and they're looking at all this. And they're going, oh, the wizards built it. You know. Yeah. Those are dragons. Those they're are dragons. Like, yeah. the dragons. They're like, immortal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What, what what's your general takeaway from this piece? Uh, my takeaway is that humanity, no matter what, no matter how great a civilization is it degenerates and it ends in bloody conflict. I think I would agree with you, yeah. right? But yeah. I would put the caveat in that mm -hmm. it is the bending to base desires that causes that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. put that in there, but you, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because, because ultimately... The people that have built the city um, gave in to their base desires, and they essentially became so civilized that they could no longer fight. Yep. Which is, <laughs> one thing Conan can do is fight. That's right. Now, I will tell you, much to my shame, my most of my experience with Conan before this, uh -huh. comic books and the 80s movies. Right. Um, so I was surprised to find him so eloquent. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Okay. And that's that's something we should talk about. Um, because we have this picture, at least I have this picture of Conan in my head as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And in the Robert E. Howard books, he's certainly not a wimp. But this is a strong, sinuous, wiry guy. He's not 
muscle bound. You know, he's, yeah. he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, which makes more sense as a warrior. I've never known anybody that was a real warrior that looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. Yeah, those are uh, what my old uh, lifting coach used to call beach muscles. Yes, beach muscles, exactly. Um, so that is a difference. Um, also, Conan in the books is he's brutally intelligent. Yeah. He, he ultimately, in Howard's mind, he ultimately goes on to claim a kingdom by his own hand. You know? Yeah. He uh, is well-read, and he can be eloquent. Yeah. <laughs> I did like that when he was trying to taunt the dragon. Yeah. He said that it was some of it was eloquent and some of it was unprintable. Yes. <laughs> and there's always, there's always, it even says because, one of the things that you get from reading Robert E. Howard is he has no respect for civilization. No, it doesn't seem. And it him. always says when Conan, Conan had may have a thin veneer of civilization on the outside, but he's always a Sumerian barbarian. Yeah. Which kind of, which Robert E. Howard thinks is just great. Yeah, I I gotta say I love the story. Yeah, I really do. You know. Yeah. Um, I hope I, think, I hope it turns you on to some more Conan. I think it will. I think it'll turn our listeners on to it. You know, yeah. I think so too. Hopefully, I think so. hopefully. Um, so a little bit of housekeeping. We've been uh kind of absent lately. Yes, but Duke and I were talking, and uh, we don't like the schedule we were on. Yep. So we're gonna come back to you a couple times a month. Yep. So be looking in all the places you get your podcast for this. There will be more coming. Absolutely. What do you got to promote this week, dude? Well, uh, we are, of course, I always want to promote uh, Tennessee McCall. We will oh. be doing some, uh, we've got some more shows, some new shows. We're fixing to start production on this weekend. Supposed to do it last weekend. There was an illness. We're going to do it this weekend. So we're going to have a couple of new episodes coming out over the next couple of months. Uh, we're also working on translating uh, some Mexican luchador movies, and we're going to do some voiceovers for that. Um, so cool. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we've got a concert coming up in Nashville in February. February 5th. February 5th. We're going to have Blood Oaks. We're going to have uh, Team Tone. Uh, not Team Tone. Uh, we do have, we're going to have Team Tones, Four Barrel Funeral, and the Muckers, uh, and some burlesque dancers. It's sponsored by Tennessee Macabre and Drogo Coffee. So that's going to be a ton of fun if you're in oh. Nashville. It's going to be at the Cobra. And um, what about you? Well, you know, always Blood Oaks, always Pulp Factory. Uh, Pulp Factory is on a little bit of a hiatus right now while we retool. Yes. Uh, but we're getting back to it at the beginning of the year with a big old double issue. Yes. And I'm yeah. going to have, uh, I'm going to get my novella finished and ready for you. And we'll be finishing that up in those, in those double issues. Yep. We'll be finishing that novella, publishing some great 
sci-fi and horror and also uh you know i might uh we might even put some criticism in there yeah i've got a piece on the creature from the black lagoon that was inspired by our last episode yes yes so uh and then you know blood oaks uh find us on all your streaming we got a new album out uh or coming out about the first of the year called north georgia death cult yep it's gonna be good gonna be great all right until next time y'all have a good one yes sir thank you for choosing the reapers digest podcast like and subscribe recommend us to your friends check us out on all social media outlets We'll see you next time.